hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Takes, a podcast where we talk about how to talk about climate and how the media keeps fucking it up. I'm Mariana Hughes Hegler. And I'm Amy Westervelt. That was the best intro ever. Um, today, we have on Tamara Tolls O'Laughlin. She was most recently the North American director for 350. She's been working in climate and environmental health spaces for a really long time. And we specifically mm-hmm. wanted to have her on to talk about a topic that kind of emerged initially about a decade ago and has come back, and that is climate reparations. Oh, yeah. I've been seeing it all over the interwebs. Yeah. Folks are hearing about it for the first time, yeah. um, which is kind of sad because once upon a time, it was all the rage in the climate conversation, right? It sure was. It sure was. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and as a black woman from Mississippi, I love me some reparations. So right. could not wait to talk That's to right. Tamara about this and couldn't think of a better to talk to about it. So, yeah, she's um, Yeah, she's fantastic. So, ready? It's time to talk about climate reparations. Right. I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> There's a new Pineapple Street Studios show we're really excited to tell you about. Yeah, Undistracted is a weekly intersectional feminist podcast hosted by activist, educator, and former host of Pod Save the People, Brittany Packnett Cunningham. Brittany will be speaking to the biggest thought leaders in today's social movements, from politicians and activists to artists and athletes. Yeah, so far that's included people like Nikki Giovanni, Soledad O'Brien, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Jenna Wortham. Plus, she'll catch you up on all the latest feminist news you need to know. Enough with the insidious distractions, the noise, the BS. This new show will focus on what really matters. How we can create a more just world that works for all of us. Undistracted comes out weekly on Thursday, so subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts to join the conversation. Welcome to the show, Tamara Tolls-Alaflin. Did I say it right? Yeah, totally. You were like the first person ever, so I was sort of surprised. Ah, I've been practicing. <laughs> um, so, little bit of introduction. Tamara is a, a friend of ours. I've known Tamara since, I think, 2017, 2018, a little bit. Um, it, one of the few other Black women in climate work, so yeah. Tamara, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Yeah, it's a little complicated right now. So I used to be the North American director of 350.org. And so that's Mm -hmm. a little tough for folks because I live in the liminal space right now, which is fantastic. Uh, I call myself (laughs) free radical, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, Untamed and enviro wench. I used to do environmental health and environmental work uh, as the executive director of the Maryland Environmental Health Network. I've probably interned, fellowed or clerked with every single environmental organization at some point. And I'm probably going to end up starting my own thing, but I'm always dabbling off the side of my desk, either writing policy or doing media or writing or um, agitating people. I'm really insensitive to racists, so um, there's a lot to do. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. So, so any number of those things, uh, people usually call it a longtime environmental activist and agitator. So, and I you have, a, any of you have a law degree too, right, Tamara? Am I, I right? do. I yeah. do. So, I graduated from Vermont Law School with two degrees: uh, a Juris Doctor in Environmental Law and Policy, and a Master's degree focused on energy transmission and generation. So, which I got at the same time, which means there was like a three-year period where I vaguely left Vermont. Uh, I got all my haircuts in New York because a girl's got to live. But um, mm. but it was an awesome period. I graduated in a class of 2009 uh, with 24 other African-Americans. So the largest class ever in the history of that school. Not now. They have since graduated 50 but and in one year, which was massive. But prior to that, we were the largest group ever. And so when we would go to the National Black Law Students Association meetings across the country, people would be like, y'all are from where? How did y'all get in the same place? <laughs> so, so it was actually really awesome to constantly shock people that there were 25 of us all at the same time who wanted to do environmental law. And these are so many of my girlfriends and confidants and were sprinkled throughout this work. Uh, very few of us have stayed in it because 2009 was the last time things were this horrible, right? So mm-hmm, different right. triggers, same problems. We graduated as the rug was getting pulled out from people about about what lawyering meant. So there were no jobs that would cover up for the suffering with money. So you might as well go do what you wanted to do. So it was a really good time to go to the crunchiest law school in the country. Uh, someone made fun of me for, they were like, you probably have granola in your bag right now. And I totally did, but I didn't say anything. So, <laughs> right, right. so, so I think that it's been, it's been a wild ride. And uh, some of the work that I have done that has led to like, being the like the first African American in executive leadership in this work, people are like so how do I do that? Like I can't tell you there was no correspondence course for it. So right. I, what I did was I just didn't quit. So I got yeah. uh, I got shit on just like everybody does. I got. Mm-hmm underestimated, just like every woman does. I got seen as someone who could show up and provide emotional flavor and my ideas weren't listened to all over the place. And I just kept building cohorts of women and of people of color and of black women and environmentalists throughout my career until enough of us got in enough different places where we could do this work professionally. And so, so I'm super excited that like the next group of people will maybe just be able to take a course. Yeah. 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 2009 is also uh, the last time climate reparations were mentioned in the global climate (laughs) conversations. Did you like that? Like that little connection there? Um, That was a great connection. In in Copenhagen, right? was um, the last time it was kind of mentioned on the international stage. So um, we wanted to to have you on tomorrow to, to talk about what climate reparations even means and like you know when the when when it seemed like we might actually approach that topic before and and when we might do it again um so let's start with like real basic in your mind what does climate reparations mean so and just uh, like maybe explain it to me like i'm six (laughs) yeah i was gonna say there's a lot of lawyers involved in this answer so i'm gonna Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna take it to a human level which is technically what we're supposed to do anyway um, yeah. So climate mm-hmm. reparations conceptually was coined by Maxine Burkett, um, who is an attorney and a practitioner and a teacher in Hawaii. She lived in her best life, amazing human being, and her skin is amazing, right? So she, <laughs> she um, coined this term by writing a law review about what government could do to respond to climate harm and assess all the harm that has been caused by 
so many groupings and sanctioned by the government and taxed double on it as well. So really wrestling with all this major pollution and the fact that it didn't just rob people of their actual goods, but of the vision of a future where we wouldn't be fighting climate change. And so she did this in a really incredible article in 2009, which came on the heels of a really great uh, piece of litigation. Uh, So I worked at Center for Race, Poverty and Environment in 2009. And the case that they had just finished being a part of as a massive effort led by community of Alaskans in um, Kivalina was the ExxonMobil versus Kivalina case in 2008. And so that case was the very first one. Uh, and Wait, before, what is that? So this this case was about a community that could prove that their island um, landmass and their permanent sea ice was melting and that it was the, caused by climate change. So yeah. they sued ExxonMobil, got $89 million. Did they get that in real life? No, because Exxon fought and fought and fought them and appealed until they didn't have to do anything about that. But real quick, remember that the next time Exxon tries to pretend like they're a climate organization on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was kind of like the precursor to all the yes. um, climate liability cases happening yes. now, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, Ruth Hopkins, amazing human being. Her, she is the daughter of the woman who who was involved in that litigation along with Lou Cole and a lot of other really great smart people who recognize this is real and we had to come up with a way to talk about harm when it feels like it's mm-hmm. everywhere, but we know it's from something specific. And so mm-hmm. right. moving from like that case to it then coming up in the global context, um, it has been raised in 2017. A couple of climate groups sort of bandied about the words climate reparations because reparations themselves have come in and out of fashion as people get a little woke and then get scared and get a little woke and get scared. And so as reparations have come up, progressive people have been trying to figure out how they fit in that because the work of environment has avoided talking about people, racism and sexism and all those isms that really make that money. So Mm -hmm. given that um, a lot of these, this term has come and gone uh, in a global context is often described as loss and damage. And Mm -hmm. people think about it in terms of how do you move money to people who will be forced to be climate refugees who will have to get up back and leave because everything's on fire and then it's in a right. flood and the land is receding and you and your island might mm-hmm. be melting when it isn't when it isn't otherwise making it inhospitable for you to live in so the folks right. who are facing that imminently who are terrified of the truth which is that their homelands are not safe and they will be people without land are thinking about whose job is it to pay for it when the communities that are going to suffer were first and worst, neither made those deals didn't get any benefits of it weren't asked and frankly shouldn't be made to pay to relocate so right. that loss and damage right. conversation has been happening in the UN. It's been happening at all the cops. It's uh, even last year, I know Gulf South Center for Law and Policy held a, uh, well, you know, it's the Gulf South. So there were a lot of uh, whiskey related events. And I know <laughs> that <laughs> they held a whiskey and reparations like side event and a bunch of people came to talk about it. Oh, because, wow. Because, that sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah so, and, it, and it was one of those things that, that made folks think, Right. So reparations is coming back. H.R. 40 in the U.S. has gone nowhere. Loss and damage hasn't gone anywhere, but nobody will get the U.S. to admit that it's been a bad partner. And there are internal situations inside the U.S. that have to be dealt with. So black reparations, climate reparations, which really is just looking at the fact that the concentration of wealth on behalf of people who've made money hurting all of us is exactly corollary to the distribution of impacts, health impacts, loss of money. Right 
shorter life income. All of that stuff is connected. So climate reparations is really just trying to figure out how do you connect these twin harms and, and, and how do you add that to the conversation around racialized harm and racialized capital? Because this is not a single thing that exists in America that isn't built on Black people's body or Indigenous people's suffering and relocation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way that I usually explain uh, climate reparations to people is say, like, you fuck it up, you clean it up. Right. Like, <laughs> yes. That's basically yes, what it, it is. Right. You broke it. Yeah, you exactly. It. You broke it. You fix it. Don't right. So like off. you went to somebody else's house and fucked it up yeah, and I made see. it unlivable. And now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like now it's your turn. It's like when you when you get into a car accident, if you're at fault you got to pay for the other person's repairs. And that's kind of what climate reparations is, right? Like we, the United States and Europe went to Saudi Arabia and forced them to dig up the oil. That's right. And it's pretty pretty awful because it's not just like, so the U.S. has its problems. The U.S. has racism. It has relocation. It has tons of money being made on, on the backs of human beings who did not ask to be put in situations where their lives would be shortened by everything. But the U.S. itself is not the only container for this because everything exactly. that is in America is an oppressive force to other places right. everywhere else. And England, right. rival, England rivals it only by being so small, but having had a deeper hand in this for a longer period of time. Think about any number of island nations, including the British Virgin Islands, which are subtly being given back to the people that live there just right. in time for them to get wiped out. So if we were right, having right. like a real conversation about climate reparations, we would be asking, why is, the, why is the crown returning all of this stuff just in time for people to get wiped out instead of offering them an opportunity to be able to move when they're going to have yeah. to be rehoused because one in four people will become a climate refugee in our lifetime. This is a good time to remember the full names of some of these companies like <laughs> Royal Dutch Shell right. and <laughs> British Petroleum. That's right. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. This also makes me think of, uh, I feel like almost every time oil companies talk about this stuff and also like this this whole batch of um, like tech bros in the climate space, they men- they talk about like um, the, the quote unquote energy poverty problem and that, you know, oh, but mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, you can't act on climate now because that will make it so hard for developing countries to, hmm. you know, get a certain quality of life. Like you need like it's like they will make this argument that it's basically, you know, that it's racist to not let India have coal or to not right. let Africa have coal um, mm-hmm. when it when when the reality is. Uh, rich countries could just pay for those countries to transition to a cleaner energy. <laughs> there is nothing stopping them from doing that. Um, and the idea that that somehow, um, you know, it is uh, bad for those countries to, to try mm-hmm. to act on climate globally is is a, a neat little rhetorical trick that they play. It is, <laughs> right. and, and it's it real doesn't, cute. doesn't take into consideration that almost every one of the places that could be mentioned is actively fighting coal. Yeah. Like mm. decolonize. Um, one of my favorite shirts from, from the team in Africa from 350 is a decolonize Africa shirt. Uh, Asia, the hmm. Philippines, so many different parts of India and Asia and Africa are in the middle of the fight of their lives. Because every time we've ever had a win in the U.S., we're like, yeah, we've killed coal. We, If we close our eyes and pretend that that industry hasn't moved offshore to an entirely different place right. without the benefit of our information of the health impacts 
have resources mm-hmm. to relocate people in governments right. that, well, until seven minutes ago, we might have said had looser uh, f- enforcement capacity. I think we're in a moment <laughs> where mm-hmm. we're not feeling so smug about what our government can do. But I, not I, right now. But we used to think that, oh, it's a jungle out there, quite literally, is a nonsense mm-hmm. that we would say. And folks don't want to have their water polluted or their air polluted or to be forced into industries that where you could lose a limb and get black lung. When we have lots of proof here in the U.S. that people who give you black lung leave you to die in a hospital and don't pay for you for your for your care your repair or your community if they even cover your funeral so like one of the things that climate reparations could and should really focus on doing is resolving that question around coal because we're going to be there with oil and gas and all the fossil fuel until we get rid of it yeah exactly I do have a special lightning round for you, oh. uh, Tamara. We do it almost every episode. I'm glad. So, I'm glad um, yeah, get some more of that drink, Tamara. Get ready. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, if you follow me on social media, you've probably noticed that I believe octopuses are a- are oh. aliens, and the reason I believe that is because of Tamara. Yeah. She put this in my head. She told me after a few drinks late at night that octopuses can camouflage as coconuts totally meaning they know about coconuts right mm-hmm. it's true exactly it's true. yeah it's really fucking freaky so i want to know what else tamara knows about octopuses <laughs> uh, so tamara how do you make an octopus laugh i run off i have no you idea. give it 10 tickles oh my god no <laughs> Like, I mean, I will do it because I believe they're going to be our overlords and I will not be suffering at their hands. So if I got to tickle, I'm going to be on. But get it, 10 tickles? I, tickles. I, I look forward to living through that. I'll probably pass out before it happens, though. Probably. Uh, what do you call two octopuses that look exactly the same? Oh, my God. I have no idea. I... Ident- you can ask Amy for help. Yes, Amy, please help me because I do not know the answer to this. I try to be woefully ignorant about octopi. That way I don't have to suffer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bad at these, Mary. Re- repeat. Yeah. Can I have you repeat the, uh, repeat the question, please? So you can stall. Sure. Yes. What do you call two octopuses that look exactly the same? Twins? Mm. Mm. Identical. Identical. <laughs> <laughs> that was way better than I thought it would be. <laughs> Why did the octopus beat the shark in a fight? Uh, he had more arms. Yeah, actually, because the octopus was well armed. <laughs> yes, I got one. I feel really good. I got one sort of. <laughs> yeah, that was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you call the place where an octopus is sitting? For a specific purpose, like taking a poo, or what are we talking about? No, you're just sitting there, just there, chilling. Hmm, a chair? I Octopied. I so I knew, so like I had this word in my mind, but I was like, this is not even a word, so I can't agree exactly. with it. Plus, plus, <laughs> I'm you know I'm always involved in some rebel conversations. Occupies get thrown out all the time, so I literally made this right, connection. Right, I right, right. I failed. 
<laughs> All right, last one. Why did the octopus cross the road? To eat some folks who like calamari. That is wild. <laughs> that is wild. Uh, no, to get to the other tide. What? <laughs> I think that over the past couple of years, and you'll you'll tell me if you disagree, I feel like the climate movement has gotten more comfortable talking about racism and the intersections with, with misogyny and all of these other white supremacy and all of these other problems. Um, not where it needs to be, um, but I get trolled when I talk about it a lot less, uh, to be honest. So I, I see an improvement. It feels like it's becoming more mainstream to talk about it as this intersectional holistic issue. And as a result of that, I'm seeing a lot of people come around to the idea of climate reparations and thinking that they invented it or <laughs> some people have thought I invented it because I mentioned it online and I'm like no this is an old idea so like uh, Amy already mentioned that you know it came up in 2009 but why do you feel like it went in and out of the ether because in the U.S. it runs up against white supremacist uh, culture maintenance and the structure mm. of philanthropy so to call for our climate reparations is to call into question the way our government operates, whether or not we should have um, free market capitalism that allows people to plunder you to death. And so the idea that we can call for climate reparations is really a wholesale review of what the economy is made of. We have to talk about mm -hmm. treaty rights. Uh, we have to talk about the Green New Deal with sincerity. One of my favorite things about this moment of climate reparations, the remix, uh, is the idea that, <laughs> that we're, we're bringing it back at a time when the Green New Deal provides a roadmap for what it could do. It feels right. a lot mm -hmm. to me like the teeth that could make a Green New Deal work because it's a lot mm. of great ideas about moving capital and people, but if we don't stop folks from making money, seize their assets so they don't leave sick and dying people that they hurt on the sidewalk to die in a, in a climate-related event, then we have some capital to make the Green New Deal happen that doesn't just come from uh, taxation credits and moving around the banking until it looks funny and everybody forgets to count. So I do, mm. do think that like this is a moment where that framework with the enforcement capacity of making polluters pay, stopping them at the door, frisking them for their assets, and then returning it back to the people they've harmed, the GND has a lot of stuff underneath that that could help it move. So I think the two things need each other, and that's some of the boldness. In terms of coming out of orgs, I would say as, as one of those people, part of the reason why it's more comfortable is because there are Black women yelling it. <laughs> like like there, mm -hmm. there are black women calling for it and building programs around it and connecting the dots on it. And uh, whether we're talking about um, NAACP climate and EJ and Jackie Patterson trying to figure out how to deal with climate finance to we act for environmental justice, uh, thinking through how do we connect the dots, not just on the harm, but to how we got here into a narrative. Uh, Gulf uh, Coast Center for Law and Policy owning this space on how do we move this to connect the eco-feminist in Africa that's working on Lake Chad to the uh, African-Americans living in the global South inside the U.S., inside the North that are struggling in Louisiana and Texas. Where are we doing, well, like Appalachia and West Virginia? We are not mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a unique moment. We're just in a place where there's time for real alignment. And it has been a real pleasure of mine over the last two years to connect all of those dots, connect all of those people, and then say, hey, wait a minute, there are indigenous communities fighting for land back. And guess what falls under the category of climate reparations? Land back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Land back, but like either 
remediated or with the money to fix it, right? Like, yes. yeah. Yes. Not just here's your dirty old brownfield. I mean, I, I live in DC, right. Maryland, and Virginia. So like, I right. can tell you right. that people, people love to hand you a ball field that will give you cancer. <laughs> so, exactly. So we, so they don't go. have to be the rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you made the point earlier about the, the, the crown giving back islands that are about to sink, you know. Oh, thank you. Thank you so they much. Get, they get to look right. super woke and progressive and have amazing holograms where they talk about the history and undoing it while they're trending on Netflix and making that money. And sure enough, sure yeah. shooting. When it part, this is also, I mean, we got to look at our own dirt, like Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands of St. Croix, yeah. St. Thomas and and. Are, are, are real places where we aren't even addressing it. So at least the crown is openly saying, this is this is our thing and we did it. Why don't we return it back mm-hmm. to you? That's super problematic. But they are also doing education programming on the fact that climate change is about to change everything in say St. Lucia and some of those other places. In the US, we just walking around acting like it'll all get sorted out as soon as we continue fighting each other about stuff we're definitely not gonna make an action on. So, yeah. so we are, so I mm-hmm. actually think in this moment where people are super focused about getting a new administration, overcoming the revolution, pushing for a climate president, there's a real opportunity to reconnect the what's happening in the U.S. to what's happening in the global South and the rest of the world and start building some global South leadership that depends on the U.S. admitting where it's made mistakes. Climate reparations feels like a great way to do that. One of the things that's really cool about it, Sonia Klinsky, who has worked a lot with Maxine Burkett, has thought about different kinds of reparations. Uh, Sandy Darity and Cobra, tons of other people have also thought about this. But the idea is generally that the first thing you got to do is admit you broke something. You have to say you're sorry. And then the second thing is you deal with people about what they need to get better and then you give it to them. And they are a part of a conversation about what being uh, brought back to wholeness or being moved or given the tools to adapt and build a different kind of housing so you could stay in your homeland. Like these are conversations we can't get in if the U.S. is still a bastard that can't get involved in any conversations about climate because we're still reeling from the last four years of awful. Right. Wait, can you say more about um, you need to say you're sorry first? Like, yeah. Why is I mean, that? That just feels like step? something we need across the board right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Amy, fine. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the U.S. has been reluctant to do that because it usually means liability. I can tell you as someone. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather's brother was the youngest person executed by the state of South Carolina. And it took 70 oh. years and a lot of dead wow. people for them to apologize and say, um, yeah, sorry. So your so your grandpa's brother was a kid. He couldn't have lifted the implement and everyone in the town at the time knew it wasn't him. We just wanted to execute a black boy and we just did it. Right. He looks oh, like my geez, he, I have wow, siblings right. who have the same eyes. He was too mm-hmm. young to yeah. lift the implement. It took seven I, I, years. I've heard his story. A few yes. Times. Yeah. It took it took his it took another generation of people. And forcing the government to apologize 70 years later, after almost all those people were dead, they said, oh, yeah, we're t- we totally did that. And we're sorry, because if they did it in the lifetime of the people that they harmed, they would have to pay for it. Given that the right. bill came due for the harm right as this president was being installed, the state said we don't have to pay that. You know why? Because you won't ever get this president if we take it to the highest court to respond to you. So they just walked mm-hmm. off. And so this has happened to my family, but it's also happened to communities dealing with black lung in Appalachia, who was supposed yep. to get the black lung fund. And one of the mm. one of the weirdo tricks of that was that in the legislation that was written, 
they said, well, you have to have $200,000 or something in that account every year. They didn't write any enforcement language that said you had to spend it. So what they do is just leave the money in there every year. Yep. And so like, yeah. like that's, that's why we need to own up to an apology because it makes liability kick in. It means you have to assess the harm that you've done to other people and engage them mm-hmm. about resolving it. So if we don't mm-hmm. have acknowledgement come first, restitution and satisfaction will never come. Are you listening, our yeah. elected officials? Yeah. <laughs> it just seems like such an important thing to be doing across the board for the U.S. Mm-hmm. right now. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're having this conversation like in this exact moment when like acknowledging harm and repairing it is <laughs> kind of the theme of the day. Yeah. 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 Uh, for our listeners, today is the day that Trump got impeached for the second time. Two times. Um, right. Peaches are a shame. Yes. A shame. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's true. So Tamara, <laughs> if you could design the perfect climate reparations policy like what would it look like wow so i'm in the job market so i'm about to close a bunch of options for myself um okay <laughs> so so if i were say in conservation i would close all of them like right so if so pick a nonprofit that does conservation work if there's an animal on the front let's talk about how much money they've made um i think mm-hmm. it would be interesting to watch them reverse their assets back to the original landholders uh that's a like a like a public case for what happens. The government itself made money on every single transaction, whether it was a buy and sell of a person, whether it was movement of people and land, whether it was development of everything from the bottom, from the core of the earth to the top of the air. Like the government has made tons of money on all of this as different corporations with different names and different families have cashed in and cashed out, died and made lots of money and become philanthropists, right? So, so I actually think that the best case scenario for climate reparations would be that we start to recognize that communities have to be dealt with in terms of the Green New Deal like they are beneficiaries. Like they are mm-hmm. beneficiaries of folks who have been taken for hundreds of years of a ride they never signed up for. And we start yeah. looking at the harm to communities. We look really closely at all the uh, folks who've gotten all this fossil fuel money in the last couple of bailouts. We retract all of it. So first we take our money back from them. Then we go after them through climate liability lawsuits, um, do the government no longer giving them subsidies and cut off the faucet so we can stop spending good money after bad. And after we've done mm-hmm. that, we put all that in a fund that unlike the Black Lung Fund actually does respond to people who need to be re- to be rehoused, need to be moved to different uh, communities, need to look for higher ground because maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in 10 years, they're not going to have a place to, to, to live if there's sunny day flooding. I really love how mm-hmm. we put such friendly names on horrifying things that will destroy you. It's like, oh, sunny day flooding, like sunny day death. It doesn't sound any different. <laughs> But, but okay, right. Sure. It's like positive feedback yes. loop, right? Like, yes. That yeah. actually so, sounds good. So if you're yeah. you're looking for higher ground right now and you aren't independently wealthy, Kanye, and you can move to higher ground, I just I mm. think we should be really smart about setting up a fund for people to be able to move to a place of their choice where resources to reseed their lives. Now that's just happening at the community level. The Green New Deal has tons of ways that that shows up in affordable housing and better transportation and community design and retraining for people. All of that happens. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, 
the U.S. has to admit that it's been a bad actor and expelled a bunch of things into the rest of the atmosphere along with other bad actors globally. And they have to think about what the pool of funds are for exactly what Amy mentioned, for people who are, having a, who are being chastised for getting an air conditioner and getting a car instead of a bicycle, if that's what they choose, because we're not making the technology available. So it'd be super great if we flattened all the licenses by paying for them so people get what they do, so that right. folks could move also, into like, better tech without having to pay the price tag for it. Yeah, exactly. And also some of those places, you got to get an air conditioner because it's gotten too hot to live. Yeah. And it's gotten too hot to live because of the actions of, you know, companies and governments in the global north. So you kind of can't yeah. chastise them. And, and I think globally, it would look like uh, forgiveness of debt. Pick a country, mm-hmm. pick global debt. Like anybody who's been thrust yeah. into global debt is probably also first and worst to suffer in terms of climate change. So cl- yeah. closing that so people don't have to make a choice between fleeing and living is really important. Mm-hmm. I also think it would be really, really great to start looking at the maps across geographies and pulling down all the walls because people are going to have to relocate. And as nation states try to figure out who they want to save and who they literally are going to let die, we shouldn't be building uh, infrastructure to support that, even in a hyper-militarized moment like the one we're in. So mm. I do think that some of this has to happen in the U.S. A bunch of it is going to have to happen through states and municipalities suing the government and these perpetrators for bringing us here. But then the rest of it has to happen at the government-to-government level from tribes and indigenous community to us and Asia, us and yeah. Africa, mm-hmm. Europe and everywhere. So, yeah. so, mm-hmm. so I, yeah. think, I think there's a there's a lot of transactions to be done and undone, and it and none of it happens if we keep handing off all of our money to people who hate us and are trying to kill us. Fossil yeah. fuel, yep. Uh, coal, oil, and gas. If you're out there, I'm talking to you. Yep, yep. No, they're big listeners to our, to our show. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, so, you know. they got they got uh, that coal <laughs> It's good stuff for them. Yeah, no, for real. <laughs> um, but the also the way I understand climate reparations is like if you did reparations for slavery and colonialism you kind of might deal with this already, right? It's yep. kind of like the global yep. north becomes the debtors, yes. right? Like the ones with the debt. Yes. And they are indebted to Africa right. and to Asia and the places that they stole from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what would that look like? Yeah, part of why this means so much to me as a as a person who shows up in a Black woman's body is that all the wealth that there is comes from, I, like, I would be in Africa. I'll be in West Africa, cold chilling if it wasn't for Mm -hmm. this. So like Mm -hmm. the idea that like all of us who have come to here through so many transactions that we were neither um, given accountability agency or any remuneration for, like the wealth of this country is in our bodies. So like there, and in, and in the lost opportunity, whether it's genetic or epigenetic, which means not this, just this generation, but this one and everyone that could come through your body with the trauma that you've experienced, like just and answering that debt in a form of reparations would in fact deal with the fact that um, you don't live where you live by accident. Your zip code is not mm-hmm. a determinant of your health by accident. The racial covenants that have decided whether realtors even talk to you about communities that you live in, all of that stuff is wrapped into it. Right. So the idea that we could do reparations without climate is silly. And the idea that we mm-hmm. could do climate without reparations is intentional blindness. Mm-hmm. That's right. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift 
of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, EarthBreeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, 40, 40%. Go to drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash drilled. Okay, so a note on this episode is that we recorded it the day that Donald Trump was impeached for the second time, and we are recording this little segment the day after Joe Biden has been inaugurated as yes. president. Um, and it just feels like every Wednesday in January has been a big eye day. <laughs> you know, true, it was like insurrection, <laughs> impeachment, inauguration. Yep. I don't know what's going to happen next week. Maybe oh, ice cream. Ice That'd cream be nice. Wednesday. That would be good. That'd be yes. nice. Yes. Um, how how was your inauguration day, Amy? You know, I was so worried about something happening that I had yeah. kind of forgotten that there would also be um, some sense of uh, relief at just kind of seeing Trump out of office. And, and you know, yeah. I am by no means a giant Biden stan, nor do I have blinders no. on about the state of the Democratic Party or any of those things. But mm-hmm. I think that we're very lucky that, you know, he didn't start a nuclear war, for example. <laughs> or- you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, we we yeah. kind of like I do feel like we survived something. And of yeah. course, I understand that it's not over. Of course, I understand that we're not, quote, going back to brunch, which mm-hmm. like just side note as a vegan, I don't really fuck with brunch anyway. It's too many <laughs> eggs. Um, but, <laughs> you know, like I understand that there's no normal to go back to, but there is a feeling of relief. Yeah. I can't get in on the jubilation. No. You know, like, yeah. I can't get crunk about Joe Biden. I just can't. I'm glad that he won. I'm glad that he's installed as president, but I can't get crunk. Yeah. So I just like, my reaction was, I kept being like, just inaugurate him already. Just take him to a fucking bunker. Like, swear him in. Let's do this. Like, it's a shotgun inauguration. Let's not pretend that it's anything that it's not. <laughs> Let's not Let's romanticize it. Okay? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so... <laughs> all day, all morning long, it was taking too long. And I was like, anything could happen. We all know that anything can happen in the space of like 30 minutes by now. Like you yeah. never take anything for granted. So once he was actually sworn in and nothing crazy happened, like the earth didn't open up and swallow us whole. I was like, you know what I need? A nap. 
<laughs> Mama needs a nap. Yeah. I yes. am tired. <laughs> yes. As, totally. as much as I'm not like jumping out of my seat with joy right now, I am relieved in a way that I had no idea that I would be. Like Totally. Yes. Even just to see some really basic stuff like, you know, installing COVID protocols at federal buildings. Yeah. I heard something about just like really basic COVID protocols for the press pool that the that reporters were like relieved about because they I, I didn't even think about this. That like They've been in, like, pretty major COVID danger just, like, doing their jobs reporting on the White House because there's of no course. protocols in place. Of course. You know? um, so, like, real real kind of basic bureaucratic stuff. Um, and, yeah. And just, like, the fact that it's, like, okay, we have someone who is, like, at least mostly dealing with reality, not winking and nodding at QAnon. Um, you know? Yeah. But yeah, me too. I was like, I felt like, um, yeah, yeah. I felt like I had to like pass out for a while after the inauguration. Like, okay, we've survived this thing. And again, yeah, not like, not, uh, I felt more like, like, I think I texted you. It feels like after you go to a funeral when it's like, okay, it's over and I can like take a nap and resume Mm -hmm. normal life tomorrow. Um, not like, you know, attending a wedding or a party or whatever which is i think where some people were feeling <laughs> yesterday yeah not me yeah and i yeah. mean look i'm not gonna shade anybody who's like really happy in this moment because yes i, I think joy. i saw a former guest of ours rebecca nagel saying like we've been through something traumatic and there's no wrong way to respond yes. to trauma so if people are happy and want to dance and whatever like hey go for Let it em. i'm yeah. just not there with you yeah yeah. And look, I saw a good off, tweet that was like, mm-hmm. it was like in quotes, let people, um, let people have their joy. And then the person said, okay, fine. But my joy is critical analysis and being a hater. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like we've got to be equal opportunity joy people. So Amy, I need you to check your text messages right now. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Oh, no! (laughs) So, what are you looking at, Amy? Elon Musk tweeting, I'm donating $100 million towards a prize for best carbon capture technology. So tell us your problem with that, Amy. Well, first of all, I find Elon Musk problematic on many levels. Where, where? He just often tries to get um, involved in various things. Like, for example, he was recently tweeting about his amazing solution to traffic in Miami, which is to um, deploy his company, The Boring Company, to drill holes for uh, uh, tunnels for cars to go into instead. Never mind... That Miami is going to be underwater in like 20 years. And also that part of the reason Miami is going to be underwater is that everything that city is built on would not hold up with tunnels underneath it. You fucking moron. I saw I saw like multiple people on Twitter being like Elon Musk hire one geologist before you drill tunnels challenge. (laughs) (laughs) 
my problem with carbon capture technology is not that I don't think it's worth researching carbon capture. I want to be very clear. I think that actually, like, um, it is going to probably be very necessary to avoid certain things. I think that, like, no matter what, it's going to take a while to wind down the fossil fuel industry. Um, there are some issues with it early on because the bulk of carbon capture tech has been deployed either at power plants, so power plants can pretend that they're doing something about emissions, or by oil companies who actually use it to like capture some carbon and then inject it into the ground to get more fucking oil. Um, <laughs> this is a thing called enhanced oil recovery. It's like you know, the those two are like the main use cases for carbon capture technology. Now, the argument is that like, well, the more kind of money that is going into this stuff, um, the better chance we have at like finding a technology that actually does work and that can work at scale and that could, you know, help to um, stave off the sort of the worst of climate change. Um, but you know, right. I, I just don't feel like Elon Musk is qualified to direct funding into those things. Like the, the chances of him picking the wrong horse are really fucking high, both because he doesn't yeah. really know yeah. what he's talking about and because he thinks he's smarter than he is. And he never like listens to actual experts on any of this stuff. That's it. That's my rant. <laughs> oh, also, um, if you're going to donate a hundred million dollars to anything, Please make sure that you are also paying your fucking workers fair wages. Thank you. There's that. There's that. And pay your fucking taxes. Yes. Yes. That's the other thing, too. Like, I with Bezos, too, it's this whole thing of, like, you know, instead of paying taxes, they put their money into private foundations or, you know, private prizes or whatever. And basically, they do that so that they control what gets done with that money. But are they the best people to be making those decisions on large systemic things that affect all of us? Fucking no. No. Like being good at making money does not make you the best person to solve every problem. And I feel like America really needs to get over that idea. (laughs) Yeah. That's my little Elon Musk carbon capture rant. I just I I'm so glad that I could pull that out of you. Um, I I saw that tweet while I was doom scrolling. I was like, you know who needs to see this, Amy, and you know who needs to see this right now, Amy. Yes, it is true. <laughs> um, shameless plug. Visit our shop and buy yourself a fuck Mars and fuck Elon Musk T-shirt. That's true. Yes, please get on that. Man, we have them in tanks. We have them in tees. We have them in men's. We have them in women's. It's true. It's true. I feel like um, Elon is always giving us an opportunity to sell that shirt. So Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. I appreciate him for that. (laughs) There's that. I mean, it's a timeless quote, you know. I also was thinking that on his list of priorities that he issued number one is COVID, and number two is the climate emergency and he said climate emergency which is something big but also i still feel like while joe biden might accept the climate science while he might believe in climate change i don't know that he grasped the reality 
Mm-hmm. I still have not. Yeah, he made it the closing argument of his campaign. But if homeboy is out here talking to folks about some carbon tax, oh, you don't understand what we're up against. I think that it's going to be very hard for people to dissuade Joe Biden from a market-based climate solution. Uh, yeah. I think he's just too old to think that the market can't solve things, basically. Yeah. Honestly, at the swearing in, at that little moment where J-Lo was singing and Kamala was sworn in, yeah. but uh, Joe Biden wasn't, I was like, we could stop here. <laughs> we could stop here. And look, I know Kamala has her problems too, but we could stop here. Uh, <laughs> yes. She's yes. more progressive on climate than he is, right? She is. Yeah, she is way more. I mean, that's the one thing that like um gives me a sliver of hope on Biden is that yes, he will be lobbied by business groups to go, you know, towards car- things like the carbon tax and whatever. And yes, he has you know, friends and lobbyists and whatever that will push that. But he he has also really stacked his climate team with truly progressive climate people who just will not, like, you know, mm-hmm. go along with that. And, and he is a person, by all accounts, I feel like we've heard this from multiple corners, um, mm-hmm. who can be influenced. So. Yeah. That's the thing I'm I'm kind of hanging on to going into this yeah. year. The other thing that I absolutely can get crunk about is that uh, Mitch McConnell is no longer the Senate Majority Leader. Oh my God! Yes, I feel like actually that is a thing that I am very joyful about, and mm-hmm. it all got kind of buried by all of the insurrection bullshit. Oh L- right, like, right, 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 right. That thing. Yeah, <laughs> but like you know that like uh, Warnock and Ossoff getting sworn in—that's a huge, huge deal. Democrats winning Georgia, huge deal, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I think. And then now, you know, McConnell's pulling his usual trash, like trying to, you know, (laughs) make it like you guys might have like, you know, you kind of have a majority, but I'm going to try to stop you anyway. Um, So hopefully they will not roll over and take it. McConnell says slow and steady wins the race. Get it? My favorite thing is all this revisionist history shit. Oh, God. They're like, some powerful people were lying about the election. And oh, that was came great. Yes. to kill us. The president and some other powerful people like it's you, like, fucking Mitch. Right. <sighs> Mitch McConnell, really. You were the one who was over here talking about, now we're going to look into it. Yes. Um It don't really look right, right? Like, and Lindsey yeah. Graham, like, homeboy, you're the one who called Georgia. Yep. But I have been seeing, like, the people who, you know, report on kind of the far-right groups and stuff are reporting that, like, I I do think that you're seeing at least some people starting to sort of question some of these things that they have bought into because it's not playing out the way they were told. Like, it started with actually the pandemic Um, continuing to get worse after Biden was elected. I don't know if you knew about this Mm -hmm. whole like, uh, like myth on the far right that like, um, that the virus was basically like created by Democrats to fuck with the election. No, I did not. 
Oh, yes. They were very much like, oh, just wait. The coronavirus will be over the day after the election, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, it's actually, you know, just continued to get worse. So they're kind of like, hmm. And then Trump actually lost and, like, wasn't able to, you know, overturn the Mm -hmm. election and actually was ousted from the White House. And so now they're all like, did he just fucking lie to us? Is this part of the plan? Is yeah, like- girl, he lied. There was no plan. <laughs> the plan was for y- for America to implode. Exactly. Well, the plan was for like you guys to give him money. That was the plan mm-hmm. for him. I mean, he. I feel like people give people attribute all these like Machiavellian schemes to Trump, and it's like that dude's just a grifter. Like grifter's gonna grift. He's like. He's just been after people's money from, I mean, even this whole stop the steal thing, it was like an immediate way for him to get a bunch of money, like his last way of getting money out of the presidency before he was out and had to like pay a bunch of debts off. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe I'm just more of a conspiracy theorist than you, but I think QAnon is more insidious. Oh, I definitely agree. Yeah, I think it's like some sort of foreign psyop oh, totally. sort of I think thing. All of, I think all of those things are more insidious. I just don't think Trump is actually behind any of them. I think he just No, I think he's a useful them. idiot. Exactly. I think he's a useful exactly. idiot mm-hmm. um, yeah. who thinks he's like, you know, super, super important. So I think a lot of his antics were like, wait, I think he probably thought somebody was going to overturn the election for him. Right? Like, I think he probably just got just as duped as those QAnon dudes. Yeah, or was at least thinking, maybe this will work out for me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, let's say it's some other powerful world leader like Putin. I don't know. Who knows? Um, Being like, yeah, we're totally going to put you back in the White House. You got to keep saying that the election was stolen. Um, And I know it's stolen because I stole it for you and then they stole it back. So, Yeah. yeah, totally stolen. Keep saying that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing will be interesting to see, too. Like, what happens? Well, well, I don't know. I'm just, I am kind of curious to see what will happen now that he's out. Um, and and now that, like, his base is kind of split, the Republican Party is kind of split. You know, you've got Cruz and Holly sort of nakedly trying to fashion themselves into, like, the second coming of Trump. But mm-hmm. I don't think that any of Trump's supporters are really going for it, you know, mm-hmm. especially not with Cruz, maybe Holly, but like Cruz, it's like, come on, man, no one's buying this shtick. It's sad. Like, dude, no like, one likes it you. Up. No one likes no you. No one likes you. He's just so desperately wants to be in power, but it's just, I don't know. Like, you don't, wh- however Mitch McConnell managed it, like, you don't have that skill. <laughs> yeah, no. You know? Yeah, like, no. Mitch McConnell is the most unlikable man ever. Zero charisma, and he looks like a turtle. But, like, you know, somehow managed to get himself elected and, like, you know, in a position of power. Yeah. Lightning doesn't twice, Ted Cruz. It does not. It's not gonna also, whatever Joe Biden does, he cannot go much further with this whole like we just need to unite and move on sort it's of shit too much. like they yeah. want to kill you they are not going away and yes. you have to deal with it yes um I, yeah. yeah i remember early in the trump presidency i i was listening to a podcast and the hosts were had on the um 
the people behind the Donald, you know, that site. I think you, yeah, you were, mm-hmm. it's one of like the, it's one the of message the, boards. yes, one of the message boards where they sort of like organize these far right things. And um, it started actually as a Reddit thread, but they got kicked off of, of Reddit. It and um, it's pretty bad if you get kicked off of Reddit. They're pretty tolerant of most things. Um, but anyway, so this interviewer was asking them like, well, what do we do from here? Like, how do we bridge the gap and come together? And the the Donald Trump guys were like, fuck bridging the gap. Like, we beat yeah. you. Like, we beat you. Go fuck yourselves. And I'm like, that is the attitude on the other side. Never once have I ever heard a Republican politician after they win be like, Try to we need to unify. We need to, like, bipartisanship is a value, blah, blah. Like, never fucking once. Not once. Right. Also, they literally tried to kill y'all. Yes. Literally tried to kill you. They so, like, how... They fucking hang you. They brought fucking gallows to the Right. Capitol like, this steps. isn't a threat like, to us alone anymore. This isn't yeah. a threat to black and brown and indigenous people yeah alone anymore they tried to kill nancy pelosi and came within seconds of doing it do you not understand that letting that go and trying to unify with your murderer means you get murdered you're unifying with them and their knives it's like an abused woman who's like but he's changed no he hasn't he ain't even said sorry it is he hasn't even said sorry he doesn't even think it was wrong to hate you (laughs) like what the fuck Yes. You're like, he's meanwhile sitting in the corner being like, and I'll do it again. (laughs) You know, like, I shouldn't, like, the only thing I regret is that you didn't die. Exactly. Um, Exactly. They tried to kill, I mean, even, okay, forget the Democrats. They tried to kill fucking Mike Pence because he wouldn't, like, go against the Constitution and overturn the election. Like, they were going to kill Lindsey Graham, too. Oh my god. Big thanks to Tamara Tolls O'Loughlin for joining us. You can find out more about climate reparations via some of the links in our show notes. And you should be signed up for our newsletter where we will continue to talk about this. The link for that is also in the show notes. Yep. And you should also leave us a rating or review in Apple, iTunes, whatever you listen to your podcast Mm -hmm. in. It truly does help us to uh, find new listeners. Um, And it also just gives us a little ego boost, um, which we desperately need. Okay. We've been quarantined for a long fucking time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Half the time, I don't even see a human being all day. Leave me a review. Yeah, it's fine. I don't like many people. So. No, I actually do. I really love people. I shouldn't say that. Um, but anyway, leave us a review. That's not the point. And send your negative reviews to brian.con at earther.com. That's right. uh, he really does enjoy reading them. And then he reads them to us in this really like scary voice. Um, so don't worry. We'll get it. Just send it to him first. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, too. We're at Real Hot Take. And you can follow me at Amy Westervelt and Mary at Mary Hegler. Yep. All right. Do all of those things. Do it. Or else. All right. Bye. Bye.
bye